It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 293 for May 20th, 2012. This week, improving digital images with Viveza 2. A new look for Bing. And in short circuits, yet another CEO for Yahoo. Stick a Raspberry Pi in your shirt pocket. Facebook's IPO a winner, but it loses General Motors. And Groupon continues to lose money, and Wall Street continues to like it. (sighs) The troubles of digital photography. Sometimes improving a digital photograph is just too... easy. You start with a ho-hum snapshot, and a few minutes later, you have an image that's exactly what your eyes saw when you pressed the shutter release. Nick's Viveza plugin for Photoshop makes this possible. You can recreate exactly the image you saw. Here's the problem. Our eyes see things that film and digital sensors don't. Now, that's not the entire story, and it's not even quite accurate. But it is an acceptable and fast explanation. More accurately, our eyes are constantly changing aperture and focus, so we think that we see more than we do. Cameras, on the other hand, have one focal point, one aperture, one shutter speed. When you press the shutter release, the camera records what it saw. Exactly. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see an image of the Brooklyn Bridge. It's an okay snapshot. I took it one January day in 2002. Katie and Phyllis were in front of me. Katie was taking a picture of the bridge. Phyllis was watching, and I was behind them with another camera. In taking my picture, I saw a dark blue sky but the image I had back had a washed-out, pale blue sky. And I remember a lot more detail in the wooden walkway. I'm sure I could see some detail in my wife's green coat. A few minutes' worth of work with Nix Viveza 2 in Photoshop CS6 created a much-improved image. It looks a lot more like I remember it. A bright blue sky, puffy white clouds, detail in the bridge's stonework, detail on the wooden deck and detail in Phyllis's coat. So how did I get from one point to the other in just a few minutes? Well, let's start at the beginning. I opened the image in Adobe Camera Raw. At that point, I could have made some of those adjustments, but I decided Viveza would be a better choice. Viveza allows the placement of what are called control points, and each control point is linked to the color that's right under the control point. Each point has several controls, radius, brightness, contrast, saturation, and structure. Radius specifies the area that's controlled by the control point. Brightness, contrast, and saturation are all pretty self-evident. So structure is the one control you might be wondering about. This is primarily a control that modifies detail in the mid-range. You can think of structure as similar, in effect, to Camera Raw's clarity adjustment. Viveza provides controls that aren't visible in the images you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Besides the controls for brightness, contrast, saturation, and structure, you can also reveal others that adjust shadows, warmth, red cyan, green magenta, blue-yellow, and hue. So I placed three control points, one at the top of the picture in the blue sky, one at the left in the blue sky, and one at the right in the blue sky. Adjusted the radius, and then I 
pulled the before and after preview slider. You'll see this on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you can judge the left side of the image before the right side after. You'll see a huge difference just with those three control points. The previous version of Viveza allowed only a single control point, but Viveza 2 allows multiple. I'll use six in this image. You'll see that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You're also allowed to group control points together, but I haven't done that in any of the images. After darkening and intensifying the detail in the wooden deck, I noticed the yellow stripe was far too prominent. The yellow stripe separates the people headed to Manhattan from the people headed to Brooklyn, just like on a highway. Well, I placed a control point on the yellow line, and then I was able to reduce both the brightness and the saturation of the yellow. The result was a yellow line that's a lot more like the yellow line I saw on the bridge in 2002, visible, but not overwhelming. Viveza's modifications are all non-destructive. When you achieve the appearance you're seeking and click OK, Viveza creates a new layer and places its modifications there. That means you can return to the original image, the original image, the one with the washed out, faded blue sky, whenever you want. Viveza works with Photoshop, Lightroom, and on the Mac, Aperture. When you install Viveza, the appropriate version or versions will be installed. Although it's true that Viveza adds no functions that can't be achieved with Photoshop's built-in features, it simplifies the process greatly. If you have an adequate understanding of Photoshop, you already know how to create the adjustment masks that Viveza creates, but that kind of understanding is limited to people such as the developers who work for Adobe, and people like Deke McClelland. If you're willing to spend several months, or maybe years, studying how Photoshop works, and then to take the time required with each photograph to create and modify the adjustment masks, well, then plugins such as Viveza might not excite you. But if you want to achieve outstanding results quickly, Viveza is a great choice, even if you do understand all of the complexities of Photoshop. Now here's one important point. Instead of just opening the images in Photoshop, you might want to consider opening them as smart objects in Photoshop. The benefit is the ability to reopen Viveza and modify an existing adjustment starting from where the previous adjustment ended. Smart objects also reduce the size of the file you're working on by eliminating the need to create many duplicate layers. So whether you're using Viveza, a filter from some other company, or just Photoshop by itself, Smart objects really can be your friend. You'll see some other examples on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In one case, I started with an old, low-resolution digital image that I took in 2000, shortly after the new Center of Science and Industry opened in Columbus. The image has a lot of problems, in part because of the technology that existed way back in 2000, and in part because I took the photograph from inside COSI through a window. I thought Viveza could help. I placed one control point in the grass because I wanted it to be greener. I placed another control point in the sky because I wanted it to be darker and bluer. A third control point is on the state office building. I wanted it to be just a little brighter than it was. But when you take a look at the picture on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you will notice a lot of digital sensor dirt around the control point in the sky in the upper left. Viveza can't help with that. The final image in the series is still a work in progress, but at this point it was a lot closer to what I want the final image to be. I used the new Content-Aware Patch tool in Adobe Photoshop CS6 to fix some of the digital dirt. You'll be seeing more about Photoshop in coming weeks. Despite the fact that additional work will be needed, 
Viveza made huge positive changes, and it made them far faster than I could have done on my own. One more example, I started with an image from around 2005, a model railroad. Even though the image was a JPEG, I opened it in the new Adobe Camera Raw because of its impressive abilities to improve even JPEG images. And after making some improvements with Camera Raw, I moved on to Photoshop and opened the image in Viveza. Note how it was able to selectively improve and enhance colors and contrast with Viveza. Viveza accomplishes all this magic through masking. It's the same process that a Photoshop guru would use. The primary difference is that Viveza creates the mask in seconds, while even a Photoshop guru would need many minutes, if not many hours, to do the same thing manually. And if Viveza doesn't finish the job, it will take you 85-90% to 90% of the way to your destination, maybe a little further. Once you're there, you can continue to make minor pixel-level tweaks in Photoshop until the image is exactly what you want. Genius. The bottom line for Nick Viveza 2, five cats, it's a magic wand for digital photographers. If you're sometimes frustrated by the time and effort required to improve color, clarity, contrast, or exposure in specific areas of your digital images, then Nick's Viveza 2 is something you should see. Although the changes could be made manually, Viveza does the job far faster and, truth be told, probably a lot better than most humans could. If you value your time, it's $250 well spent, or $50 if you're upgrading from the original Viveza. For more information, visit the Nick Viveza 2 website. You'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Several weeks ago, I switched my primary search engine from Google to Bing, in part because of what appears to be Google's continuing lack of serious effort to eliminate fraud and deceptive advertising. It's still way too early to tell whether Bing will be any less evil, but I figure it can't be much worse. That's not my point, though. Because my primary search engine is now Bing, I was among the first to notice Bing's new look last week. The new Bing will work with Facebook in a way that will use people's social connections to improve search results. Bing, which is owned by Microsoft, positions this as a fundamentally new and different approach to search. Actually, it's, that's not quite true, but it does automate an old way to search. In the old days, if you were thinking about vacationing in San Francisco, you might have asked some of your friends who have vacationed there about hotels and attractions. The Bing-Facebook combination expands your ability to do that, Bing has been around for three years and has gradually been building itself into a viable competitor for Google, but it's still losing money. A lot of money. $2.6 billion just in the last fiscal year. Even Microsoft can't sustain losses like that forever. The trend line isn't as steep as Microsoft would like it to be, but it is at least heading in the direction they want it to. A year ago, Bing had less than 14% of the search market. This year, it's up more than one full percentage point to more than 15%. The primary loser of market share, though, was Yahoo instead of Google, which has about a 66% share of the market. Microsoft and Facebook have been collaborating since sometime in 2010, but the new functionality picks up more information from Facebook 
users do need to be logged in if they want to take advantage of those additional capabilities. Microsoft apparently felt it was necessary to explain what you can do with Bing and actually created an example page for that. The new format is a three-column affair. The left column is called the Explorer pane. It contains search results. The middle column, Microsoft calls it the Snapshot, is the place where more detailed information is presented. Purchase links, for example, go there. And the column on the right is the Sidebar. It mines information from Facebook and Twitter. This is the column that primarily differentiates Bing from Google. Those who use Hotmail, all 150 or so of them, can use a quick ad feature to insert Bing search results, movie times, reviews, maps, and even videos into their Hotmail messages. The Facebook linkages are potentially the most useful new feature. Those who find something they want to share in a Bing search can share the information directly via Facebook. short circuits, Yahoo reminds me of Italy following World War II. In five years, the company has burned through four CEOs. The latest, Scott Thompson, held the post for just four months and was brought down by claims that he padded his resume with a non-existent college degree in computer science. At one point, Thompson reportedly said that an employment agency did the padding, but I consider that even worse. The head of a company such as Yahoo should have an overall understanding of how computers, networks, and applications work, but his primary responsibility will be the company's operations, not the programming. The absence of a degree wouldn't have been a big deal. But what does it say about Thompson's management capabilities if he didn't even look at what the agency was sending out on his behalf? Yahoo's new interim CEO is Ross Levinson, who ran the News Corporation's Internet Services. Another former CEO, Carol Bartz, hired Levinson, and he'd been in charge of Yahoo's media and advertising services. Yahoo chairman Roy Bostock and four other directors have resigned, effective immediately. They had planned to resign at the company's annual meeting. They just did it a little early. The new board will apparently concentrate on trying to sell Yahoo's share in China's Alibaba Group, Yahoo owns about 40% of that. The new chairman, Alfred Amoroso, joined Yahoo's board just a few months ago. Trial by fire. After spending a week trying to save his job, Thompson abruptly announced that he was resigning and that he's been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Meanwhile, the Chicago headhunting firm that Thompson accused of padding his resume fired back. Hendrick and Struggles CEO Kevin Kelly sent a memo to the company's employees denying the allegation and saying that the falsity can be verified. How about a little Raspberry Pi in your pocket? You can now buy a computer for $25 or $35. Wait, before you get too excited about that price, you'll need to consider the computer's limitations. The Raspberry Pi Foundation in the UK started taking orders for a $35 version of their computer in February of this year. The computer is a system-on-a-chip device, a computer that's about the size of a credit card, although it's quite a bit thicker. What's missing? Well, there's no hard drive, no screen, no keyboard. You can add the keyboard and screen, of course, and the result will be a computer that runs Fedora Linux. There are two models, A and B, 
The B model is the one that's more expensive. It includes two USB ports instead of one. It also has an Ethernet port. Because of the extras, it uses 3.5 watts of power instead of 2.5 watts. The average desktop computer runs well over 100 watts. A reasonable person might wonder what could be done with such a limited computer. The Raspberry Pi Foundation's goal was to create a computer that could be used in schools to teach basic computer science. It's based on a Broadcom system that has a 700 MHz ARM processor, video circuitry, and 256 megabytes of RAM built in. The only attached memory is an SD memory card. But might these devices be used for tasks other than teaching? Some companies use dashboard displays so that employees can see how well the company is performing relative to its desired metrics. These displays typically use a computer that costs several hundred dollars, and those costs add up if you have several hundred dashboards scattered around the company. Might companies be interested in replacing 50 or 100 $500 computers with the same number of $40 computers? Well, that's one possibility. Any task that needs a computer, but not a computer with a lot of processing power, could benefit from the Raspberry Pi. If you'd like to learn more, you'll find a link to the Raspberry Pi Foundation on the TechBiter Worldwide website. we can stop talking about the Facebook IPO. Just ahead of going public, Facebook said it would increase the number of shares available by 25%, 421 million shares. At $38 per share, Facebook stands to raise $16 billion. Meanwhile, GM just slipped out the side door. Now, according to the Christian Science Monitor, about one-eighth of the people on the planet have a Facebook account. Just a data point for you. General Motors spends a lot of money on advertising, but it won't be spending $10 million a year with Facebook any longer. GM says it's a small adjustment in the company's $3 billion annual marketing strategy. GM is in the top five advertising spenders in the U.S. The loss of money from the automaker won't seriously damage Facebook's bottom line. After all, the company took in almost $4 billion last year, so $10 million is a relatively small rounding error. But coming just ahead of Facebook's IPO, and I have to tell you, in writing this story, I first wrote Fadebook. Well, anyway, for Facebook, that was embarrassing. There's a possible follow-the-leader effect, too, as other advertisers note GM's exit and reassess their own advertising policies. But GM won't entirely disappear from Facebook. It will continue its brand-centric pages. As for the IPO, existing shareholders hold 241 million shares, and Facebook itself offered 180 million. On Friday morning at 11.30, Mark Zuckerberg rang the starting bell at the NASDAQ, but he did it from his office in Menlo Park. And with all the money at stake, don't you think he could have afforded a plane ticket to New York City? 
Although the stock was considered by many to be overpriced at $38 a share, and some analysts said that only dumb money would buy at that price, 82 million shares were traded in the first 30 seconds, and the value quickly jumped to slightly more than $42. After sliding back under $38, the stock price recovered to around $40 by midday. At that point, Facebook was valued at more than McDonald's, or Citigroup, or Amazon. And at the end of the day, Zuckerberg was worth about $19 billion, at least on paper. Yeah, I think he could have afforded that plane ride to New York City. Groupon posted a smaller net loss than expected, and its revenues were higher than expected in the first quarter, so following that announcement, the company's stock gained about 18%. Groupon announced this week that its net loss was just under $12 million for the first quarter. That is down, down a lot from last year's first quarter loss of almost $147 million. Groupon was privately held a year ago. The Chicago company went public in November of last year. Revenue nearly doubled to just under $560 million, which beat Groupon's own estimates and those of most analysts. The company's share prices had been declining since the IPO, but with reduced loss, increased revenues, and a larger active customer base, the future could be a lot more stable than the recent past. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.